Happy Friday, kids. Welcome to Sidebar with John Duran. It's Friday, January the 18th, and it is Martin Luther King weekend all over this nation. Here's a quote. The ultimate measure of a man or woman is not where he or she stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he or she stands at times of challenge and controversy. Ain't that the truth? And are we in the midst of challenge and controversy? Well, our show today, we're going to dedicate the Martha Luther, Martin Luther King uh, holiday weekend. First up, of my guests, the Reverend Lucia Chappelle from the MCC churches, our LGBT churches all over the country. Uh, Reverend Chappelle, an African-American lesbian, long involved in the social justice movement. Happy to have her and welcome her back to the show. She's been with us before. I'm excited to see her again. I always find such great inspiration from her. And then she'll be followed uh, by the incredible Doug Spearman, who was a television actor on the, the television show Noah's Ark, along with his friend Candace, who's a Hollywood writer, talk about uh, being black in Hollywood and the challenges that are faced. And then we'll finish off the show with two transgender activists, Kyle O'Neill and MJ Brown, otherwise known as Lady Barbecue, as she reminds me. She's a comedian. Uh, and uh, they'll be talking about primarily what uh, issues trans women of color, African-American women face out there in the world as the struggle continues. So it's going to be a day all about social justice to commemorate the memory of the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. But what what a what a 12 hours it's been. Yeah, it's been 12 hours since BuzzFeed announced that it appears that Donald Trump, while sitting as president of the United States, directed his attorney Michael Cohen to perjure himself in front of the United States Congress. Uh, about the tower being built, Trump Tower being built in Moscow. If that is true, and we don't know yet if it's true, we're all waiting to see if it's true. If that is true, you cannot convince, persuade, direct somebody to perjure themselves, to lie, not only in front of a court, but in front of an equal branch of government, the United States Congress. And if it's true that Donald Trump, in fact, did that, that probably crosses the line pretty clearly into high crimes and misdemeanors for impeachment. So is this the moment? Is this the moment that we all wondered if there would be a moment that would lead to the ultimate removal of Donald Trump from the Oval Office? This, this could be it. And according to some of the investigative reporters on this, Bob Mueller already has this information with corroborating evidence in email, text, other documents. If that's all true, and Mueller already has all this, uh, that doesn't mean that it just has to go the route of uh, Mueller's investigation. It, in fact, Congress has its own subpoena powers, its own authority. They can hold their own hearings regardless of what's going on with special counsel. And that would be uh, chaired by our very own Adam Schiff of the great state of California. Adam Schiff representing my city, the city of West Hollywood, and uh, a very, 
very uh, good, decent, wonderful member of Congress to know that he'd be running those hearings. Maybe we'd get a sense of justice returning to our country. And people, you know, we, we rarely have to face this, but remember the Congress voted to impeach Bill Clinton, not over a sex act, but over the fact that they believed he lied when he testified under oath. And that's what led to the impeachment of Bill Clinton over the Monica Lewinsky affair. That was over a blue dress, as you all remember. That was over a sex act, as you all remember. And just based on that, a Republican-controlled Congress voted to impeach Bill Clinton. Well, how much more would it mean if it turns out that the President of the United States directed his lawyer to lie to an equal branch of government about a tower that he was negotiating to build in Moscow with Vladimir Putin. No surprise that any of this is happening and uncovering. And you tell me, who is Donald Trump working for? The American people or Donald Trump Incorporated? You know exactly who he's working for. You know, maybe he can't Maybe the, all the conflicts of interest he has you know, aren't in and of themselves impeachable offenses. And maybe the Russian hacking of Hillary's emails and maybe he can say he didn't really know about it. That you know, may not ever rise to the level of being an impeachable offense. But directing somebody to suborn perjury, to lie in front of a legislative body, not any legislative body, the U.S. Congress, about financial affairs with Moscow – that pretty clearly crosses the line. So if the House of Representatives, which is now controlled by Speaker Pelosi, votes to impeach Donald Trump in 2019, it goes to the U.S. Senate, where the Chief Justice of the United States, John Roberts, who Donald Trump has attacked repeatedly on Twitter, will sit as a presiding judge while the United States Senate sits in judgment. And remember, it takes a two-thirds vote to remove a sitting president which means about 20 Republicans would have to find their spine to decide whether they agree with the integrity and rule of law that it is wrong, immoral, to be deceitful and to tell somebody to perjure themselves if that crosses the line of decency and civility and the line of justice in this country, or to stick to Donald Trump. That'll be the ultimate question for those 20 Republicans. Mitt Romney... In Utah, will you finally find your conscience? I hope so, sir. McNally and uh, Sally McNally in Arizona. Lindsey Graham, where the hell have you been, girl? You are just falling apart. Lindsey Graham down in South Carolina, will you do what's right for the rule of law and justice? Marco Rubio in Florida, and all these Republicans who say they believe in law and order and justice under the law—that nobody is above the law. Well, you're going to have the ultimate test because you're going to have to do something that's politically potentially risky, and that is offend the base of Donald Trump, who seemed to control the Republican primaries. Your legacy will either be that you suck. <laughs> Actually, I was going to say sunk on a sinking ship, but yeah, you suck too. That you went down with Donald Trump or that you stood up for truth and justice under the law. What an incredible year 2019 is going to be. Look forward to having the debate with you all here on Channel Q. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I just, even today, hearing the words and the cadence is so beautiful to hear. We're joined by the Reverend Lucia Chappelle here. Welcome. Hi, John. Oh, good morning. It's so you. good to see you. Thank you so much for having oh, me. I'm so glad you're back. I mean, just even listening to the words and the spirit and the rhythm of his voice just still i just want to sit and listen you know i don't want want to hear john duran talk i want to sit and hear him speak and there's so many other speeches you know we focus on that i have a dream speech but there's the the speech at riverside church where he came out against the the vietnam war right right people forget that he was an anti-war activist as well and and that really that made a big difference that could have been why he was killed yeah you and I are of a certain age. We're, as I tell people, I'm somewhere between 50 and death. <laughs> I'm somewhere between 50 and I'll death. I'll take that. <laughs> uh, Although I could have been your babysitter. Yeah, maybe. maybe just but you and I were both alive when Dr. Martin Luther King was alive and yes. remember his assassination. Where, where were you during that period of life? I was in, growing up in northern New Jersey. We um, we busted a block. We moved out of the ghetto in Patterson into the suburbs of Teaneck and had to sue mm. to get there. And I remember my daddy sitting up all night that night with a shotgun in the window waiting for somebody to come because somebody had had a cross burned on their lawn. Really? You, Six were you weeks like before. the first black family? In we, on that block, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's so hard to even think that happened at one time. Like, that, that was real. real. Yeah. That was yeah. real. I can remember going going south and going to the movies with my cousins and having to go in the back door and up to the balcony to go to the movies. Wow. That's how I saw Lawrence of Arabia. So you sat in a segregated section Absolutely. of the movies? Absolutely. Throwing popcorn down at the white people. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, you know, I have a photograph my grandmother gave me because my my family's Mexican-American, right? But here, when they moved to Los Angeles in the 1950s, there were water fountains that said whites and Mexicans. Mm -hmm. Like Mexican became the other here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And just hard to believe that that happens in our lifetimes. It was, I know, I know. Our arc of history includes that. Right. Right. And what we see today, it's just, it's amazing. And yet we can, can't you really see the roots of all of that? Everybody thought, oh, well, racism went away and segregation went away, but it was all just laying yeah. under the surface, waiting for somebody to come and light a match on it uh, again. Donald Trump. There you go. And this time targeting Muslims and immigrants. It's so awful. Now, uh, March on Washington was 1963. Yes. I think Bayard yes. Rustin was in the center of all that, wasn't he? He sure was. Yeah. He was one of the coordinators. In or- he's, in fact, he came up with the idea for the march. Yeah, and he's an openly gay man, openly gay African-American man, just so our, and our yet listeners they, know. Yeah. And yet they pushed him in the back. He was one of the people that Hoover targeted as being a communist and eventually drove him out of Martin Luther King's inner circle mm. because of it. Mm, 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 mm. The, the not-so-openly-gay J. Edgar Hoover. Yes. 
<laughs> the cross-dressing J. You know, Edgar Hoover. There you go. Isn't that ironic, too? Mm-hmm. So you were uh, a young girl, I guess, when the March on Washington happened. Yes. Eight or nine years old? Or? I think I was about 10. 10. 10 or 12. But um, we packed up the car and we drove down to D.C. I was born, actually, in D.C. Wow. And so we had all, all our relatives were there. So we went down for the march, and I remember riding in the car down the New Jersey Turnpike and waving at people that we thought were probably going to the march, too. (laughs) Um, But then I got one of the big heartbreaks of my life. I got up in the morning to go to the march, and my father had left without me. Oh, and you know how sad. But you know, he probably thought. I'm guessing he thought this could he was, be dangerous. He was terrified. This could be. He was badly terrified. Yeah, he probably thought. Best. I mean, he grew up in South Carolina. Oh, wow! And born in 1896. Oh my goodness! His parents were born in slavery. Yes, I was going to say that when uh-huh. his parents were. That's right. Slaves. Wow. Yes, all my grandparents were born in slavery. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's and see that again. How close it is. Think about you and your grandma. Yeah. 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 And that—that's the all—that's all the generation we are in between that. Yeah. So very, very true. And then you were the first African American on your school. In my high school. Now, it wasn't a busing because there was just two of you, right? There were just two of us. (laughs) Although, eventually, they kind of bust us because they passed a rule that kids had to be taken to the school they wanted to go to. So they, you know, they by hook or by crook, they got me to that school. They, um, they sent a priest out to our neighborhood to find a couple of nice little Negroes to bring to their school uh-huh. because it was, you know, a, a, a star, Catholic school, right? star Catholic yeah. school in the diocese, mm. and they didn't have any yet. And that was 1965. So they they brought us in. Wow. They. Had, Accepted 250 freshmen every year, except our year when there were 252. (laughs) And did you experience racism? I was there about a week when the principal, Sister Thomas, came up to me and asked me if I had been teasing my hair. (laughs) And I had to try and explain to her that black people's hair gets frizzy when it rains. Right, right. And she just stared at me. <laughs> this like, long, cold, nunly stare. Right. Wow. I went back to my homeroom just crying. And it was the other kids who got it. Hmm. I had girlfriends who said, she doesn't know that. What's the matter with her? Right. Do you think some of these early childhood experiences would lead to the crafting of who you would become Absolutely. in life? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I looked at Martin Luther King, and I thought, who wouldn't want to be like him? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who would not want to be like that? Right. Yeah, he inspired a nation. And Absolutely. The right person at the right time. Yes. Yeah. Because if you look at the footage of, of Bull Connor and the do- attack dogs and what was happening in Alabama, it, I think it was the power of television yes. that Americans were forced to watch those images. The whole world is watching. And see, yeah. Martin, he, he, did, he wasn't born an activist. <laughs> right. <laughs> you yeah. know, it ha- he was in that place, in that time, and it was the only thing he could do. And then he looked and realized what television could do. Yes, the power of television. He got it. Yeah, and and Kennedy's got it too. Yes, yeah, John Kennedy. Well, yeah, right. Talk about scared to death when they saw all of that going on, mm-hmm. and what were they going to do? Right. Because it certainly wasn't a time when one would expect the president of the United States 
to come out in favor of civil rights. And yet you have uh, Martin Luther King in jail. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So true. What are you going to do? It's so true. And the incredible pressure that was happening in our country at that time. Yes. We came out of the 50s. I think The 50s, you know, are idealized as this iconic period. Happy days. Happy days and mom and pa and, and pe- little white picket fences. But they weren't. No. <laughs> they no. Of, they weren't for a lot of communities and a lot of families. They were really tough. That's right. And women were subjugated and people of color were segregated. And there's no even room for our talk for about. The Cero program, wasn't that also in the 50s? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. And so the 60s became the explosive time and you know I, I tell young people believe it or not in the 60s the Democrats were the ones primarily upholding that's right the hangovers from slavery the Dixiecrats yeah the Dixiecrats as the they call them in Democrats. the southern and see now this is why you have the Republican Party you have today well, because when the Civil Rights Act was passed when Johnson forced the Civil Rights Act right. he said we have lost the Democratic Party the has lost the South for a generation all of those Dixiecrats Yep. Shifted over to the Republican Party. Yeah, where they found home. Strom for Thurmond. For racism. Oh, I know. And, and all those televangelists as yeah, well. That's yeah, right. As that's well. right. I'm looking forward to the next segment of our conversation, Lucio. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh, you're listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Wow. Another great... MLK speech against Vietnam. I'm looking at uh, here a Martin Luther King quote too. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So very true. You know, during the break, you and I were chatting. Um, we're talking with the Reverend Lucia Chappelle from the MCC Church and uh, This Way Out. This Way, uh, out, this way out. The International LGBT Radio Magazine. Yes. Uh, and uh, we were talking about uh, racism uh, still within the LGBT world. Yes. And, and yes. How we're absolutely. Still yeah. Well, and you know, as I was saying to you, John, the gay gene is not an anti-racist gene. Yeah. No, I think it's very true. You know, true. and and a lot of times I think we get tripped up because we expect automatically to understand everybody's oppression. Right. But, but it, it it doesn't work that way. You have to work for it. It's not. It doesn't come naturally. Yeah. And I guess the one thing that's always been interesting to me about our movement is that uh, we have the capacity to have every color and every stripe at the table. There you we go. We do have the capacity. We just, take it all in. Yeah. Just whether we give access to. I was being interviewed by an Australian newspaper uh, yesterday about the early days of the Life AIDS lobby. I don't know if you remember that. During the 80s. Sure. But we had uh, we had a lot of organizations of color, but we had to really reach out to bring them to the table because a lot of our institutions were centered in West Hollywood, in the Castro, in the Hillcrest, in communities that were primarily predominantly white. Yes. And then having to reach out and, and link arms. And it, it was a struggle. It wasn't easy. Of it course not, easy. because you have a lot of trust to build because a lot of trust had been broken. Right. Yeah. I think that's very you know? true. And you know, and it, it is, and, and as much as I think I can empathize about what it would like to be black in America, I don't have the experience. Nor you don't. will I ever. You don't. Yeah. You don't know what it's like. 
You don't know what it's like to go in a store and feel the person walking behind you waiting for you to steal something. Because of the color of your skin. Yes. Yeah. It's just, you know, you don't know what it's like to be singled out that way and to know that that's what people are seeing. And I felt that way walking down the street in West Hollywood, John. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is here with us. It is present. So what do we do about it? (sighs) There's a lot of work that needs to be done. I'm really at the place. And it's so wonderful you had Martin talking about silence because it's the silence of non-people of color. It's the silence of white people that's the killer. You cannot lay on our backs the responsibility for raising white people's consciousness. Believe me, we've already had enough. We've done it. We've, we've taken as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's time for white people to really try and take that responsibility. Say something when you hear something. Yeah, call it out. Call Call it it out. Yeah, call it out. You've got to. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that, especially with our transgender community in the LGBT world, because there's such a small minority within a minority seems to be subjected to a lot more violence. And Yes, I was going to say, it's a lot more life and death, and there's no time to play around. Yeah. Yeah, there isn't. But again, we, I, we it's speaking out when we see transphobia or yes, homophobia. Absolutely. Tomorrow's the Women's March. So I think the Women's March in many ways was inspired by the March on Washington. And I know absolutely. our LGBT marches because we had them in, let me see if I get my years right, 79, 87, and there was 93. an 83. 90, was there, was an eight, there was also an 83, an 81 83. and an 83. Yeah. I remember 87 because that's mm-hmm. when ACT UP was born. ACT yes. UP was born at the mm-hmm. March on mm-hmm. LGBT March on Washington. Mm-hmm. And then there was 93 right after Bill Clinton got mm-hmm. elected. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. that. But we've had a few too. We've had a few. You think marches are effective? Yes. Why? Absolutely. For one thing, and we learned this with the first March on Washington, we were told so many times, you know, there's no bill. When, when Martin Luther King had his march in 63, there was a civil rights bill that was trying to work through. We didn't have a bill. We didn't have any of that stuff. But what we did in that first March on Washington, first of all, was to see each other. Mm. Yes. To suddenly have... A quarter of a million, you know, as, as one park patrolman said, a quarter of a million faggots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. And to see each other there and to see each other powerful changed people. It does. Absolutely. You know, and people were able to go home, people who couldn't be out in their hometown, and yet they could still work. They could still be part of what we had now become a national movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was vital. Mm-hmm. That was a vital turning point for us. Mm. You know, I know in the Latino culture that if you're, because uh, in, and in Latino community, we come in different shades too. We have, like, I'm very light, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. dark skinned, you know, but this is not a tan. I tell people, this is not a tan. I am this color all year round, right? But within the Latino community, there's also very dark skinned yes. people who seem to suffer more oppression or discrimination because they're dark skinned Latinos. You think that's true in the black community? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I lived that too. My mother was what they used to refer to as passing light. Hmm. She actually could, was able to go into New York on, on occasion and get jobs as a white person. Wow, because okay. she was so fair-skinned. Yeah. Oh. My father, on the other hand, was very dark. 
They even would get stopped sometimes driving in the South when somebody thought it was a, a black man and oh a white gosh, woman. Oh my gosh, a black and a white, oh my gosh. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Wow. And I, so I, rec- I felt that tension between her family and my father's side of the family. Right. You know, um, her great aunt, who wouldn't allow my father to touch her as a doctor when she got sick at our house. Where does that come from? Where, where, why is it the darker the skin, the, the more the response or the reaction? I, I just, I don't understand it. I'm trying to put it's my... It's like, it, and it, even though under segregation laws in the South, if you were one-sixteenth black, you were black. Right. They still had some sense of gradation, like you weren't as dangerous somehow if you were lighter and you were closer to the jungle, quote unquote, if you were darker. Mm. Mm. It was also attached to um, the, the house slave, field slave kind of tension, uh-huh. because that's how those people got so light, for heaven's sake. They were house slaves and they were being constantly raped. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was not the easy job where the field hands had the hard job. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I know some religions considered darkness of skin to be the mark, the of, mark Cain. of Cain. The mark of Cain. from the story of Cain and Abel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I always thought was just bizarre. <laughs> just well, Because the whole, the, whole, the whole human species started in Central Africa. <laughs> but by the time the Europeans had left Africa and come back, they were shocked to see these people who were dark. And they had so much light, dark imagery culturally that they had to assume that dark people had to be bad people mm. because dark is evil and light is good. Wow, that's amazing. We've got like less than a minute. Tell us what's happening at MCC uh, later tonight. Oh, well, no, this is actually at, at one, at the One oh, Archives. I'm sorry, at One Archives. Um, this Way Out, the International LGBT Radio Magazine, we're having our first live event. We're having a panel discussion. It's called Talking Transgender, a Global Rally Cry. We have uh, input from around the world talking about how we deal with transgender politics now. Mm. There are so many different kinds of things going on. In Europe, there's issues around creating a third gender for people to register as on their um, identification. There is violence everywhere. How do we deal with those issues? We're going to be on Facebook Live. Great. So come on down to 1. It's 7 o'clock tonight. Great. Or tune in on Facebook Live. Lisa, always great having you here. Thank you for coming out and joining me for MLK. Thank you so much for having me, and happy MLK Day. Aren't you glad that we managed to get it made a day? Yeah, I, I am. You're listening to all of us here on the new Channel Q. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning, everybody. I want to do a special shout-out 
to the people in Seattle. Welcome, Seattle, to Channel Q, our newest edition, our newest city, joining all the other cities across the country. So, hey, Seattle, we got your rain this week here in Los Angeles. It's been raining nonstop all week, but glad to have you on board in the Channel Q family. Well, we uh, we were just, uh, Reverend Lucia Chappelle just left, and we're joined now by two other women who are here as my guests. Unfortunately, Doug Spearman, who was going to join us, sent me a text just now saying that he had a problem with his dog and he's on the way to the vet, so we hope that Doug and his dog are okay. I, I know dogs are like kids, like my kids anyway, so hope he's okay. But let me add, have my two guests introduce themselves, and uh, we'll welcome you both. Candice? Good morning. My name is Candice Moore. I am a writer and extremely happy to be here. Oh, Super so, excited. So glad you're here. Kyler? Hello, my name is Kyler O'Neill. I am a Jackie of all trades, master of none. I <laughs> act, I sing, I am also a writer, and I am very thrilled to be here. Oh, as well. I'm so glad you both are joining me. Thank you. Welcome. So we're doing a tribute this weekend uh, to Martin Luther King all over uh, the country, but it's also the Women's March here in Los Angeles. So we have these two incredible movements that are kind of celebrating this weekend. And I guess I'm just curious uh, about your own experiences and, and your writing and your inspiration and what inspires you. Uh, maybe about MLK or maybe about activism or, or any of those issues. So. so for me, you know, especially we were talking about quotes uh, by Martin Luther King that inspire us. And there's just so many, but I wanted to read this one. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And so, you know, for me, the type of writing I do, it's more essay writing or short story. And it's to bring consciousness and awareness. Um, everything starts with self. And so it is super important for me to reconcile any discord, spiritual or otherwise, that will alter my perception in terms of how I see me, which is directly going to affect how I see you, how I'm looking at the world. Mm. And so, you know, with it, it with this decision is a commitment, a commitment to make sure that I am responding to the discord. I mean, you'd have to be blind to not see what's going on right now um, in our society. So I had to take a stand and that stand is that I choose to come from love. And in my writing, it is basically a consciousness and an awareness and ex an expansion, a reconfiguration of the spirit. Um, again, so that I can maybe address some things that I've chosen to overlook or that are too uncomfortable to talk about. And when someone is greeting me, I don't want to be in my head as to, are they coming with their own preconceived ideas of who I am as a black woman? Um, what I get to do is I get to redefine their conceptions. Mm. That's what I get to do. So everything about the way I present myself, I interact, I approach, I respond, gets to redefine what they have previously uh, experienced. Well, that's beautiful, Candace. Thank you. Ky Kyler, you want to get some initial thoughts out? Uh, well, I'm kind of going to piggyback off of <laughs> what was just said there. Um, I write poetry, and um, there was a quote uh, from Martin Luther King. It's not a very popular one, um, but he says, a riot is an outcry of the unheard. Mm -hmm. And in my poetry, I go above and beyond to make sure the perspective of the unheard or the others is revealed to others mm. because it's something there are so many demographics that are just overlooked and right. disregarded uh, in this world and so I make it a point in writing the poetry that I write to add perspective to the popular crowds who may not even have ever had to think twice about 
other people who are considered outcasts or losers or whatever mm-hmm. in this world. And, and I, I think, love that. Yeah, and I think you're, uh, or Candace, you're making the point about how things are so turbulent in the world right now. But in the midst of all that turbulence, there's also a great deal of hope. Like there was the last election, something called black girl magic happening all over the country that all these black women, oh, there you go, black girls rock, (laughs) is uh, what uh, Kyla showed me the book in her hand. Uh, Black girl magic, all these African-American women getting elected to office. Even in the Deep South, Stacey Abrams almost becoming the governor of Georgia. She should have, she should have, but they rigged those polls. But (laughs) it's kind of of exciting to see. Don't get me on it, here we go. (laughs) You don't mind getting you on it. It's it's called sidebar. You're welcome to get on it if you want. Yeah. Uh, I mean, somehow there there is a response happening to all the ugliness in the world. Yeah. So here's, you know, everyone has their own take on what's going on and, and who's, you know, leading the country right now. But these things are absolutely necessary. Everything that has been revealed has been either lying dormant or has been pockets of eruption. And so now it's been brought to the forefront. We have to take a stand. There is no, well, it's not directly affecting me or I can just kind of rationalize it away. We have to take a stand. This is a perfect opportunity for us to make the decision, um, again, to stand for love, to stand for unity. And that is what's happening. That's why you see the marches. It is a response to the anarchy that's going on. It's no, we actually choose to come together. We choose to support and uplift one another. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, we're talking to Candace and Kyler, and we're going to come back after our commercial break to talk a bit more about all this stuff. So thanks for tuning in to all of us here on the new Channel Q. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. I don't have fair skin, nor do I have silky hair, or even long enough hair for you to notice me or even want to care. I'm not too tall at all, yet I'm not short enough to compliment your dominating ego and be your diamond in the rough. My body and features, slender and bony, not full and squishy to the touch. No soft, plump, adorable face that gives most guys a rush. Instead, I'm stuck with high cheekbones and endless model-like features which is more like a polite way of saying I look like a male creature. Exotic? Yes, I most certainly am, but not the popular kind. Beautiful? Sure, I guess so, but only to a few selection of minds. Pretty hair? Hmm, I'm not so sure. Maybe for my own kind, but far from beautiful in regards to the common kind to the common mind. Sexy? Absolutely. To get laid is beyond easy. But anything beyond the physical with me, almost no one finds mutually appeasing. There's beauty in diversity, an expression commonly stated. Yet the kind of beauty I bring to the table seems consistently underrated. No matter how much I reinvent myself, it seems I'll never be. The kind they'd want to be loyal to. The kind that would have them on their knees. My elementary years seem never-ending, particularly gym class. Because if pursued or considered at all, I'm usually always picked last. Love yourself, people like to say, as if it's easy as one, two, three. 
but many of us don't know how to and look to others for guidance to see. You may not agree with my views, but these are simply my thoughts, created by countless experiences that chewed and spat me out to rot. It seems I can never win it all, and everyone else gets put above me. I pay the price for my many flaws. Hi, my name is Ugly. Wow, Kyler, that Love was that. beautiful. That was Kyler O'Neill. You took me all the way there. Kyler, yes. a little applause here in Loving the production. That. With Kyler, that was beautiful. Thank I you. Mean, obviously, that was inspired by many experiences to put that together. Absolutely. Um, I wrote that in New York in a subway train. Wow. One of those subway train rides that New Yorkers know when you're... I think every New Yorker has cried on a subway train at least once. <laughs> was, that was written during wow. one of those rides. Wow. That was really... That was beautiful. You had you had us mesmerized here Absolutely. on every word. That was really gorgeous. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Candice, you, you speak all over the country, right? And I do. You were, t- you were telling me uh, during the break about an incident with a, uh, a gentleman. When I, yeah. Went to Norway. So it was my first time ever... Uh, speaking in Norway, 14-hour flight. I was there for a conference, and I was there for six days. And so what happened is I had been asked to do a workshop on Friday, which I did. And Saturday was my uh, main talk, keynote speaker. Afterwards, the committee and I were on our way to dinner. And this white guy, about six foot three, blonde hair, green eyes, walks up to me. And he said he wanted to apologize. I had no idea why. I didn't know him. Um, But I just said, okay, I'm pretty vulnerable after giving a talk. You know, we cover sensitive topics. And what he ended up sharing was that when he heard me uh, the first day, he tuned me out and he surfed the Internet the entire time. And I was shocked. I just thought, okay, that's weird and inappropriate. But I just said, okay. And then he shared... um, that his, he had been raised by his grandfather, who was a racist. So I understood everything from that moment. And it was a lot of feelings at one time because I didn't understand where this was going. I'm a 14-hour flight from anything safe. Uh, I don't know what's happening. And he went on to share that in my talk that evening, when I asked everyone to examine generational beliefs that have been passed down that perhaps do not support who they wish to become, that he had heard me. And I talked about my experience with relationships he identified. And so what he said is ultimately he made a decision to feel and live differently than how he had been raised, which is huge. It's huge because in a short span of time, we went from him dismissing me because I'm a brown skin black woman to being able to reevaluate and reconsider. And so I just thought, let me put it to the test. So I asked him, can I have a hug? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You know, because if you're not really ready, that's going to be. And what he did is he opened his arms wide and we hugged it out. I invited him to dinner. And, you know, we talked about a lot of things, a lot of misconceptions that are never challenged. Mm, That's amazing. Yeah. You know, I I can't speak for all gay men, but I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll try. You'll be the spokesperson. But but gay men, uh, at least the crowds I hang out with, we just love black women. We just idolize them. Well, because we're flawless. We we worship them. I mean, whether it's Aretha Franklin or Diana Ross or, you know, any of these. And I think part of it for me is Mm -hmm. that when some of these women sing, I can feel the pain not just seeing, it's the presence. Yes, yes. Black women bring a depth, a weight, a soul, um, many layers mm-hmm. that you can't overlook. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I would add on to say complex layers that um, I would say that in this country, um, 
black women are kind of for so many years and it's starting to change, but black women have been pushed to the side a lot. Uh, when you hear about, um, well, yeah, I'll just, I'll say that. And so I think where the gay community really connects with black women, we see outcasts, see right. other outcasts and yes. we connect and we see through the BS that the cis, the heterosexual cis world maybe cannot see through. We see through the BS that's like, oversaturated in the media that we consume and so we see that amongst each other and we connect easily yeah through our pain through our being dismissed and disregarded absolutely we come together and we say that's not what we're going to do yeah I think that's very very true yeah it's very very true this is alliance between black women and and, uh, gay men especially all of LGBT but especially gay men absolutely I think that's really true in the words of young Jeezy real recognizes real hello oh I (laughs) like that I mean at the end of the day we have two choices we can either sit in the corner and cry or we can stand up Mm -hmm. and we have chosen to stand up oh that's really really amazing but we haven't just stood up we have opened our arms because you can stand up with your arms crossed and you're shutting everything out you can't learn you can't change you can't shift you stand up and you open your arms you're saying i'm willing i'm willing to have a new experience well we've got about a minute left we're going to lose candace we're keeping kyler we're going to lose candace candace any uh, you you want to tell us about and coming up for you that uh, tell our listeners what's about? coming up i just submitted uh, an article to the new yorker it's a, a topic that has to do with a really horrible thing actually that went on in my family um and it's something that i think a lot of people wouldn't talk about but it is important um it has to deal with child abuse and why i advocate for children with children's uh, institute and the covenant house why i do the work i do uh for those that don't have a voice to give them a voice oh that's gorgeous well thank you for spending thank you the so morning much this has have been a, amazing have a safe flight absolutely uh, and uh, say hi to dog experiment and tell him we'll i catch will him i'm next gonna time check on around. his little baby yeah, yeah on his dog his poor puppy we want to thank you all for tuning in we'll be back uh, after the break uh, for more talk here uh, on sidebar with john duran on the new channel q Welcome back, kids. And you're listening to New Channel Q. And a big shout-out again to the people in Seattle. Welcome to the Channel Q family, Seattle. Glad to have you on board. Well, we uh, in the last hour, we, we heard a beautiful poem by Kyler O'Neill. Kyler, thank you again for sharing that. That was so, so sweet. And thank you for stepping in last minute with Doug Spearman and it had his puppy problem. But now we're joined by the incredible MJ Brown who has joined Kyler and I. <laughs> yes. And I, I called her Lady Barbecue and I completely screwed that up. Oh it's no. Miss Barbie That's right. Q. Yeah, Barbie like the dog capital Q. It happens all the time. People use BBQ all the time and I just think you need to eat more. <laughs> I think that's, that's right. All. That's all. That's all good. I was part of a United Nations a panel, I guess it was last week, and it was a panel focusing on transgender women and violence against transgender women and discrimination. And we were the three of us were sitting together, and I so enjoyed our time together. I said, You two need to come on my show. <laughs> now, here we are. I love the, the, the way it happened. I love LA. It works like that, right? Yeah, it does work that way. I love that. And actually, and actually they're focusing on transgender um, women and gender nonconforming people. It's funny, um, I identify as trans femme, gender nonconforming, and it's been this whole whole thing of including trans um, trans femmes you know on the spectrum 
uh, what it what it means to be trans and so forth. As a gender nonconforming person, people always clump us with the trans women, which is fine, but but there's a whole another section of us out there. Yeah, and you and I, when we were all sitting and chatting, I think one or both of you were telling me about sometimes the looks or the stares you get on buses or public transit. Oh my gosh, I, I don't even think about that. I guess because I don't get the stares. Or the well, looks. you're very handsome, so people oh. stare. In another and way. you're a guy. I know. So you yes. are held to way less standards than I, women. I, I, no, I don't know. I don't know. Guys are held up to... Okay. Okay, other than the corner of Santa Monica Boulevard, <laughs> San Vicente. I was going to say, out in almost Hollywood, they hold you up to a whole other standard. <laughs> it's yeah. true. Yeah. But, but yeah, in, pub, in public transportation, I took the bus here, and there is always this... Um, there's always this... Uh, Anxiety mm-hmm. when I when I'm getting on the bus mm-hmm. and how I'm presenting myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I have no makeup on today. You know, I have my hair pulled back. You know, I'm always very aware, not just as a person of color, but as a trans femme person, because I'm not a trans woman. Um, I'm also also aware that people are figuring me out. I mean, and, trying to figure out your gender. Like yes, that, they're trying to figure out my nothing gender. Nothing better to do than yeah, figure that out. Yeah, they're trying to figure out my gender. They're try, trying to figure out where I'm going. They're trying to figure out all those things. And sometimes that's, you know, that's human nature. We all want to figure each other out. But when it's when it's come on as you are other, and it comes off as you don't belong, that's where I get very fearful. Mm. Kyler, did that happen to you too? Absolutely. Um, when I was early in my transition, I moved to New York City. I'm originally from Ohio, Cincinnati, go Reds. And mm-hmm. I moved to New York. And in New York, I didn't have a car, fresh out of college, broke as a joke. So I had to use public transportation. Mm-hmm. And like I said, for the third time, I was early in transition. And when you're early in your transition uh, for MTFs, uh, it, it can it's kind of noticeable mm. and so I would get stared at uh, I would get um, anything you could possibly imagine I kind of went through uh, thankfully I knew how to navigate whenever attention was drawn to me um, if someone started to approach me I kind of knew how to navigate myself away from it but there were always stares um, the first job I ever worked in New York was working at a Costco warehouse and I kid you not members it was in East Harlem and members would point at me and like there'd be a couple and the guy would turn to his wife and look, oh, look, look over there. Or I remember one time a member walked up to me and she asked me, she said, can I ask you a question? Are you a man? And I was just like, what? Like, no. Oh. Yeah. People feel emboldened. Yeah. People feel emboldened. It's We're not very, human. Yeah. It's very interesting. You're almost put on, you almost feel like you're put on display. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're put on display and people can, you know, I've been doing, doing drag for a long time. So I'm used to people touching me and stuff. But mm-hmm. when I'm out in public, you know, just standing in line at, you know, anywhere and people asking you those kind of questions, you know, what do you, what do you do? You know, I've I've learned to be an ambassador about it and do it with love now. Right. But before it was fist up all the time. Yeah, and you know, I was in I was in my early twenties. I was so new to the yeah. world and I was just taken back by everything. So and I just, just went home and cried. That can change you. It can yeah. change you on how you view the world because Absolutely. you want the world to be a, a better place because you're finding yourself. Mm-hmm. But now but then but then you start getting this dark cloud that's around you of people judging you and stuff and how do you 
find your way out of that. Mm-hmm. And I guess they're looking for cues in attire and makeup and yeah. hair. That's those yeah. are the cues they're looking at, right? Yeah, they're looking at all those things, and it's in- intention, right? Mm-hmm. You intend. You, you, you put on things with intention, mm-hmm. not bringing attention to yourself, but because you like them. Absolutely. But I, I mean, I, I can't imagine walking up to a woman who's wearing a hajib and saying, are you Muslim? Or, or, or a guy with a yarmulke and saying, hey, are you Jewish? I, I mean, why, why would people feel such permission to I, get so personal? I think it stems. I blame the media. We have... Any all things trans, and you can relate to an extent. All, trans, queer, anything queer has been sensationalized for many, 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 many years. Made a spectacle out of, uh, made a buffoonery out of. Uh, so it's kind of seen as, oh well, this is just, this isn't real. This isn't what real people do. Mm. So it creates this entitled attitude among those who do not identify. To just kind of walk all over and do as they please. This is what I would so say. So it's about power then, or trying to a assert power over somebody. It, it, I think people have gotten comfortable too. We've made we've made um, society so comfortable to talk about queerness, LGBT issues, and so forth mm-hmm. that that um, especially with the with the with the RuPaul's Drag Race and the queer eye for the straight guy and all that kind of stuff that where they're able to ask these questions that when they come across someone. In the flesh, in in person, they feel that they can um, say whatever they want to, mm-hmm. as opposed to there's there's a there's a level of decorum that falls when they find out that you're queer. Hmm. You know, there's a level for for me. I've come across come across. Oh, you're gay. You're queer. Well, let me ask you this. And I'm like, what, is this a counseling session? <laughs> We're at the bus stop. What's going on here? I'm going. I'm going. Why Why do you feel so comfortable? And they're they're and they're all well. Aren't you all comfortable talking about it? And I'm like, well, no. <laughs> you're right. We're, no, we're not. And their faces usually crack and they go, well, what does that mean? You mean, I thought you all are comfortable like that. Uh, so maybe because they saw Jack on Will and Grace. Jack on Will and Grace. Damn right. you, Jack. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, that is so wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. And sometimes for me in a lot of public spaces, there's a zone of privacy that I think I'm entitled to. Like, you know, and sometimes because of Mayor of West Hollywood, people will come up and say, aren't you, aren't you the mayor? And I'm well, like, people think they know you, right? Yeah, yeah, people they, think they know you. And they automatically like break into a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there. I just want to read my book. Yeah, I just read my book. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And learn and, and learn. Learning how to do that with grace, you know, with, with dignity, as opposed to you don't know my life, you know, kind of deal. I mean, it it you learn you learn to ease through that, and a lot of people haven't. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, violence in LGBT world is most prominent against the trans community, and I we've only got a minute left, and we're going to take a break. But maybe when we come back, we can talk about that and what is at the root of all that huh? absolutely alright you guys we're, we're sitting here we're talking to MJ Brown and Kyler O'Neill you're listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on the new channel Q wow um, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope oh that's beautiful MJ it's one of my favorite quotes by Martin Luther King yeah that that is beautiful yeah you know, tomorrow is the Women's March in downtown L.A. I'll be there. I know a lot of our listeners here in L.A. will be there as well. But there's such a tie, I think, between misogyny, homophobia, and transphobia. There seems to be this this tie between the three issues. It has to do a lot with gender and the expectations around gender and gender roles. 
and and those that seem to hate uh, hate equally, but most forcefully, I think, against trans women. Why is that? Oh goodness, you want to you want to try this, Kyler? I'll let you, you go. <laughs> you go. Well, there's a there's um there's an I call it old school thought. There's an old school thought of how men and women are supposed to be, right? And and when people don't don't play into those roles, um, especially over the last fifty years, there's a certain resistance that comes that comes with it. Um, being gender nonconforming, I I navigate between male and female expectations, and a lot of people think, well, you should choose a side, and that's it. And so when I don't. You know, they want to almost force you, you know, round pit, square hole, you know, right, you know, right, you know, they want to force you into that. And when you resist that because you want to be free, you know, we all want to be free. Um, that's where a lot of the violence comes. And a lot of times people don't. I feel I always say well, from my point of view, I feel that a lot of people don't um, either want to accept that or they um, they think that we should be eliminated Mm. Mm. You know, and and I know those are harsh words to say, but I think there's there's a there's a huge population, and I'll even say this: I love my I love my black community, but there's a lot of misogyny and transphobia even within the black community. Absolutely, that 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 uh, they can be all about black rights or civil rights, but they think that women should still be in the kitchen, men should be men. You know, we call them hoteps, right? Mm-hmm. We call them hoteps where they think that uh, that as well, and there are gay black men who think that trans people need to figure it out, you know, be who they are too. So it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. You can take you can take on the race and then you can take on the culture of what people think how people should be. Absolutely. Kyla, you want to expand on that? Yeah, I just picking backing off of what MJ just said, I blame the culture. We live in a society where the image of a man is glorified. And anything that poses any kind of social threat to that image is seen as not good. Wrong. And yeah, wrong, not good. Yeah. And people react to that negatively, mm. especially men. Mm-hmm. Um, and what about the role of religion? You think religion's got a hand in all this? Oh, my goodness. It's deep. Again, again, it's one of those... those um, those those institutions that's been that that's been chugging along over the centuries, and now that um, you know people are opening up and people are changing and so forth, a lot of the institutions don't think they need to because they they a lot of the institutions think well we've been here for years it's great the way it's going and it's like what's well, great the way it's going for who who's it great that it's going for who are the people that you're serving? I think a lot of times these institutions forget about the people that they're serving and that it's evolving. I agree. And they should evolve with it. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I I think um, it's it's hard because I think religion is a wonderful thing. Um, But the, the sad part is it gets so blown out of proportion. And sadly, anyone can, um, become a pastor and lead a congregation or whatever. And then, include all kinds of biases mm-hmm. in their teachings and stuff like that. And it really makes a mockery or kind of like a buffoonery out of the actual, what it's actually there for. Um, the Bible is a textbook. It's like when we, when we go to classes. Like the and Quran the kids, and yeah. everything else. You know, it's a it's guidance a, tool. It's a guidance tool. It's a guidance tool. And people blow out of proportion some of the p- 
points. And, and some people don't even do the homework or the research in the wording to learn about the wording that was used during that time frame and how right. it was relevant to those times right. versus how it's present today. And, exactly. And I find myself, I'm, I'm actually studying to be a spiritual practitioner. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, inspired spiritual community. And um, we, we really had to move. It was really hard to unlearn all those things that we learned in religion because as, as I'm as I'm spiritual and with the higher power and, and learning to, to to bring in God in all my all my affairs and so forth like that I had to really unlearn all those things of you're an abomination mm-hmm. Leviticus blah 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 you know mm-hmm. all those things and go oh wow I can be loved just by being who I am and I can grow and evolve mm. you know with God in my life mm-hmm. yes you know absolutely you know, there's a pastor up in Northern California he put on up on the billboard in front of the church Bruce Jenner is still a man and homosexuality oh. is still in Leviticus that's ego yeah that's he, all ego his parishioners kicked him out yeah by a vote of like 99 to 1 they, yeah. they kicked him out of the parish so I think religion's changing it is slowly it and we, is. we have to remember this is just facts. There are a lot of crazy people in this world. That's right. And unfortunately, <laughs> you ain't never lied. And the sad part about the religion, the religious world, is anyone can just be anyone can be on the forefront. Anyone has a chance. There is no, there are no parameters. There are no, there's no structure. Really. Well, every area has a fanatic. Has yeah. a fanatic. Has a fanatic quota. Yeah. You know, every every area, gay, straight, religion, politics. You'll get your fanatics. Yep. And all of those, and, and it's always the fanatics that people will turn to and go, look, 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 they're making sense. Look, 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 they're crazy. Look, yeah. look, look, that kind of thing. Yeah. And understanding that that's, oh, that's fanatic. And here is here is normal or regular. I mm-hmm. like the word normal. Here's regular and there's fanaticism. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. My dad's actually a pastor. Huh? What? That, yes, I'm a preacher's kid. Um, but my dad... Thank, I'm very, very blessed and thankful. Um, my dad specialized in street ministry. Hmm. So he was always around drug dealers hmm. and drug addicts, prostitutes, just out there in the streets with the community getting involved. Uh, so that opened his mind a lot. Um, and it he changes has, perspective. Absolutely. And he has gay friends. Uh, but then when <laughs> when I came, when it came out that I wanted to transition, it was like, whoa, wait, what? It was a little unfamiliar. It was actually very unfamiliar um, to him. But he grew and he came along and it was it's always been love there Mm. was a little bit of distance in the beginning earlier in my transition but if I ever needed anything he always made sure that I knew that I could call on him and whenever people bash religion or or pastors I always bring up my father because he is the true definition of what it's there for and he just you you spread love you love love, one another it's all about loving one another being kind doing unto others as you would have them do unto you not harm. Yeah, that's the golden rule. Yeah. That is the golden rule. Problem is when the fanatics get some power, like Jim Jones. Mm, yeah. Charles Manson. We're in trouble. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And it's under understanding that, that it's going to always be there. We can never get rid of it or or squash it, but understanding, okay, this is a this is a level of hatred and and move forward from that. You know. We've got about one minute. Why don't you both tell us what you're doing and the one that we got left? Yeah. Oh my goodness, I'm doing so much. I'm this doing is so MJ much. MJ Brown. Why yes, yes. A K M is barbecue. Um, I am the outreach coordinator at the Los Angeles Centers for um, Alcohol and Drug Abuse, and we're doing outreach right now to men who have sex with men and the trans community. So we're getting with a lot of trans organizations to do um, become more of a, a resource, safe. I call it. It says safe space. I call it brave space. And I'm also um, 
performing at Courage Theater, doing a stage reading on Sunday, and I'm doing a panel tonight at This Way Out, this way out with One Archives. Wonderful. Yes. And Kyler O'Neill, what about you? Absolutely. I will be self-publishing my first book. Yes. It's a collection of poems that I've written throughout the years, and the title is Pity Party. <laughs> it will be coming out this year. Uh, you could stay updated by visiting my website, kyleroneal.com, and I will keep everyone updated there. Well, thank you so much for spending time with thank me. I appreciate you. Thank, thank you for having, you for having us. us. It's a Absolutely. pleasure. We'll take a short break, and we'll be back here on the new Channel Q. Well, what an incredible day it has been here as we're paying tribute to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King Weekend. We had four incredible African-American women on the show today, brought a little bit of that black girl magic to Sidebar with John Duran. What an incredible show. I want to thank them all. We had such a good time. Even in the downtimes, we all just kept talking and talking and talking. It was really, really amazing. Uh, I want to thank you for tuning in. We... Uh, you know, this has been uh, an extraordinary revelation to me. I, I think the one thing you did for us, Donald Trump, uh, is you reminded us painfully that uh, racism and misogyny and homophobia and Islamophobia uh, have not gone away, that they still exist in this country, and there's still more work to do. And all of these hidden bigotries that existed in the United States are suddenly come out of their dark crevices because of your presidency. You've given them permission to come out with their tiki torches and with their burning crosses and with their swastikas out into full American light. And it's a reminder for all of us, good-natured people, uh, to remember that the battle is not over and we still have a struggle going on and uh, something to fight for. And that's to fight for one another no matter what our differences so for that, Donald Trump, as funny as it's going to sound, I am grateful that you uh, have at least provided us with that uh, as a raison, raison d'etat, a reason to be, to fight and continue to fight racism and injustice and bigotry wherever it exists, because we don't want to be the silent friends. We want to be the friends fully engaged in standing up and speaking up when we see injustice and bigotry. So for that, Donald Trump, I am grateful. Uh, I look forward to the upcoming months to see what is going to be released and what our nation will have to face when suddenly that 34% that clings to you, no matter what you do or say or how hateful or bigoted or racist you are, they still cling to you, will be forced to confront that the man sitting in the Oval Office is not only a racist and, and a bigot and a misogynist, but on top of all that, a liar and a deceiver and a fraud. Uh, and somebody who attempted to personally profit off the Oval Office rather than doing what's good for the American people. And when you're fully revealed uh, with all of your angles and fragments and fracturing Donald Trump, uh, we will bring you down and you will be removed. And we will consider you an aberration in our national history as a reminder that all of these issues that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King raised have not been eliminated. The battle is still here. And uh, what a painful reminder to see it all. But what uh, a reason to be and a reason to fight and a reason to continue to do what I think our founders intended when they drafted that Constitution of the United States. And it's beautiful preamble that in order to form a more perfect union, uh, we would have to continue to fight 
generation after generation for equality and justice in order to have the sense of liberty that they imparted to us. So, in honor of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and all that he stood for, uh, his anti-war activism, his fight against racism, I think that if he had been alive today, and we certainly know his uh, widow, Coretta Scott King, fought for LGBT rights, as do have his children and grandchildren. We honor you, sir. We remember you. Uh, we pay tribute to you. Uh, we've given you a National Day of Honor on Monday, and we want to thank you for the great contribution that you are and all that you inspire, no matter what, our race, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, You've inspired all of us, Dr. Martin Luther King, and for that, we as a nation are forever grateful. So welcome to those of you in Seattle, to the Channel Gihu family. It's your first week with us. Glad to have you on board. And I look forward to spending time with you all next Friday here on Sidebar with John Duran on the new Channel Q.